Uh, welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 27. Schlegel. All right, and welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 27. Today we are going to talk about Only Lovers Left Alive in segment one. That's Jim Jarmusch's uh, new film about vampires in Detroit. And then we're going to talk about, in segment two, uh, some of our favorite film podcasts. Uh, we're going to call that OPP, Other People's Podcasts. Uh, but first we have pickups. Uh, we should probably start with Chris, because Chris probably has the... Kind of the biggest news. He's in Massachusetts now. How's it going over there? Hey, uh, it's good to be back to that the rep. I'm in central Massachusetts as I speak, and it's going well. Good semester over at uh, Westfield State University in Western Mass, and great semester, great people, great students, and uh, just getting acclimated. Uh, really love it up here. Uh, the roads are a little different than Detroit. But uh, yeah, I get lost easily. Oh, okay. Yeah, everything's kind of squirrely and swirly, and every road looks like every <laughs> every other road. When so. you said they were different, I'm like, well, clearly they're better. They're you know, they're oh, the roads here are newer. amazing. <laughs> oh, they're so much better. Yes. Yeah, they're so smooth. So the roads are smooth, you say? Really smooth. Part of that, of course, is uh, they have a lot of toll roads up here. So when you have toll roads, they tend to maintain. The condition of the roadway is a little bit better. Uh, I gotcha. I gotcha. But you know, I've, I've never been to Massachusetts. It's awesome. Uh, it's I absolutely love it. A few times for me, Boston. Come visit. Yes. Yes, we will. So, how far are you from Ipswich? Any idea? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about an hour west of Boston. Okay. Okay. Um, that's where I think that's where uh, Clown Shoes Brewery is. So they have some really good beers and stuff. So <laughs> you know me, I, everything's arranged around breweries. Beer. <laughs> there is that yeah. cannery, the cannery in Vermont that you oh, and I yeah. were talking about yeah. when we had beer at Whole Foods, and that's where not the, too far. Where they make Heady Topper. They make the Heady Topper. So I will have to go get that some before you guys visit. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Yes. That would be great. Um, I've had it once, and it was quite quite good. Um, yeah, they're known ex- apparently for their breweries up here. I've been talking to people, and a lot of a lot of fans of microbrews and uh, good IPAs. Cool, cool. Yeah, Alchemist, right? Alchemist Brew. Alchemist Brewery, Brewery yes. Yeah, yeah nice. that's it. Fantastic, Chris. How was that um, pumpkin stout? It looked like it had like pumpkin goodiness around the top of it or something like that. It was actually a cinnamon sugar rim. Oh, dear God, no. I'll it was insane. It. Oh, it was man. so good. Marshall, make me one of those. It was a subtle pumpkin, a really good, it was just a really good stout, and then they had this, the, they had this cinnamon sugar rim, Ugh. and oh, so, That does sound incredible. It was very good. And it's, it's starting to get cold here. The evenings are now getting into the 40s. <laughs> Same here, man. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, we're getting a little cold over here too, for sure. Um, no, good. I'm glad the transition is going well for you. I'm glad that you. It really is. Yeah, that's great. I really love it out here. Great. Wonderful. Nick, what about you, man? 
Nothing has changed since the last pickups, except I'm further along in the book. You know, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the thing that, you know, gobbles up most of my time is, is the book. Um, it's, it's, I'm trying to get it finished so I can clear my slate and have it delivered, um, when promised. And, uh, I just finished, um, finishing up another chapter to send two more chapters to send to my friend Mark and, Columbus, who's been doing the copy editing for me. And, um, that means I have exactly one half of one chapter left to write mm. until I, and I'm, and I'm done. Uh, and, and awesome. that's not even very much. We're talking about, that's like 20, 25 pages. Excellent. Uh, there's still a lot of, you know, end matter work that needs to be accomplished, but, um, I've got plenty of time to do that. And, and of course, seeking permissions and stuff like that, but nothing's really changed. Um, you know, I've, I may have some interesting developments going on next year that I will be at liberty to talk about next year when I know more about them. But uh, as for right now, um, status quo, gentlemen, uh, still still framing projects uh, as a stress reliever and, uh, you know, another hobby as if I didn't have enough hobbies. Um, but those without hobbies are, you know, I don't think that... Uh, but, you know, one's true passion is their hobbies, you know, in life. So, I mean, the more the more hobbies you have, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, making beers or framing <laughs> pictures or whatever, the better. So, um, that, I definitely don't need another right, hobby. It's, uh, relatively harmless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, my meth hobby is, you know, no, I'm kidding. I don't have a meth hobby. But, um, <laughs> <You're> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have, I think, the framing addiction than the meth addiction, I suppose. Um, came yes. white. <laughs> yeah, and that's, right. uh, that's about it. How are you, Eric? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. This uh, semester is I, I've, I've got a little heavier teaching load than usual, and I'm just uh, I'm just, I'm still a little snowed on. I'm just now getting into the groove, and it's been uh, a little bit of an adjustment. But I think I'm getting there. Uh, so that's good. And then I've got, I'm going to, I think I told Nick last week that I'll, I'll promote my other podcast one more time and that's today. And then I'll, I'll shut up about it. But, um, I have this, uh, second podcast that I've started, uh, called the wet podcast, writing education and technology. And, um, it's been going pretty well so far. It's an interview podcast. And my first episode was with Audrey Waters. Um, my second episode is uh, with Paul Levinson and then, um, I've got Howard Rheingold for the third for the third episode. And I've got a couple others recorded that I still need to edit and it's uh every Friday. Um and you can find it at ericmarshall.net slash wet. That's E R I K Marshall dot net slash wet. And uh it's different from this. It's clean. <laughs> um <laughs> which is a which is a challenge. It's a clean podcast. Uh mm. so you can listen to it in the car with your kids or whatever. But it's been it's been really fun so far. And a lot of oh, work but a lot of fun a, as well. An F bomb right there. Talking to some interesting people. There you go. I like the dot net so, wet. Um that's, otherwise that's, that's, uh, uh, yeah, everything's good. Yeah. I like the well, the uh um yeah the dot net slash wet the rhyming. Mm-hmm. Clever. Clever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking, speaking yeah. The, promoting- the, the acronym, the acronym came to me first, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that sounds funny," you know. And so that's why I built the podcast around the acronym, which came to me kind of <laughs> spontaneously. So, 
And Eric, speaking of, um, promoting podcasts, you know, uh, I came across Podcast Land not too long ago, uh, which is a very nice sort of aggregator of podcasts. It's at www.podcastland.com. And, uh, we, we are now affiliated with them and we're up and we have 28 votes right now. And so we're really vying for podcast of the month over there. So what we'd really, really appreciate if you wanted to, uh, take, I think it takes, I timed it. It takes about, um, the minute you land on the page, it's a matter of seconds, like 10 seconds to type in your email and hit vote for and vote for our podcast and then by the time you know the whole thing's said and done you've landed on the page and voted it's about 10 seconds of your life maybe less and if you like the podcast man we would so greatly appreciate it because we're actually ranked top five right now yep yeah i know we're top five um at the top and and then we're also in the top under tv and film and, uh, when we, when we were promoted initially through podcast land, our, our downloads really, um, really spiked, you know, we really got more exposure. So, uh, my, um, request from listeners is if, uh, if you'd like to vote for us over there, it's just podcastland.com. You'll find us over at the TV and film link and it just takes a couple seconds to vote for us and really appreciate it. Yes. And, uh, while we're at it, uh, we always like, uh, iTunes reviews as well. So if you can, you can do that, but the podcast land thing is pretty cool. And I'm really, uh, like excited about the fact that we're in the top five. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That is really, it's, it's pretty nifty. Yes. All right. So shall we get on with it? Episode number 27 of That's a Wrap. Uh, we are talking about Only Lovers Left Alive, the latest film by Jim... I can never figure out how to pronounce his last name. Jarmish or Jarmush? I don't mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you guys know. I've heard it both ways. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, me too. So, um, it's uh, a gorgeous film uh, set uh, in Tangier and Detroit. About uh, a couple of vampires played by Tilda Swinton and uh, Tom Hiddleston. Is that how you pronounce his name? Um, <laughs> that is. <laughs> and uh, we we all watched it recently, and now we're we're ready to talk about it. Now um, we're all going to be we're going to be a little biased because we're all Detroit natives. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> we're gonna we'll probably have a bit of a bias that maybe other other people don't have, but that's okay. Um, I th- I think that's okay. Uh, do you guys want to? Who wants to start? Who wants to react first? I do. We want to start with a a, a a a more of a summary, or just jump right into it. Uh, I think I summarized it right. It's two vampires. You did. Yep. yep. Uh, I mean, we can we can. I can go into a better summary if you like. I mean, no, no, no. You know, um, um, there's so so much to talk about. There's so much. It's almost like drawing straws. Who wants to go first? Because I all think like we're 
chomping at the bit to talk about this. Yeah. Film. Yeah. Well, I'll go first because I watched it first. Um, okay. I, uh, I mean, I loved it. I, I think we're all going to be unanimous on this. I thought it was an incredible film. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's slow and gorgeous. And, um, the performances are in most places understated. Um, it's not your typical vampire movie by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it has vampires and, and, you know, it's got, it feels like a vampire movie, but it's not like any vampire movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things I like about the movie is that it doesn't explain a whole lot. You don't know a whole lot about where, how old these vampires are, where they came from. Um, uh, what, you know, there's a, whole storyline of the blood being people's blood being contaminated and we don't know why mm -hmm. they never tell us why um it's and i like that about the film it it, it makes you guess in a way or makes you just kind mm -hmm. of accept okay well this is this is the way things are tilda swinton is amazing it just, mm -hmm. as she always is but uh she's amazing tom hiddleston uh he's i think he does a really good job of uh just being this kind of hipster uh hipster vampire basically in Detroit living in an old uh house uh Detroit has a lot of abandoned mansions and uh he lives in one of them he's kind of a recluse musician playing vinyl and you know he's very an he's a very analog vampire in a lot of ways um but uh which which the music is absolutely amazing and it's just it's just oh god yeah you know it's just amazing um in well, and the whole idea of analog is kind of, you see that at the very beginning of the film with the spinning disc, the spinning record, and you know that, that, that that's going to be a big, a big motif. The whole idea of spinning is a recurring motif throughout the film. Um, not to mention he uses all this really, really antiquated equipment that looks like it came out of Tesla's laboratory. <laughs> and Tesla actually comes up a lot in the film. He, oh, does. Yeah. he does. Yeah. <laughs> now that you mention it, and that and that is interesting that he's you, you know he has all these vintage guitars and other instruments, and he drops a lot of names musically speaking. But I don't know. It, it's some of it seems gratuitous, but a lot of it, it's it's interesting that you know he says doesn't he say that he gives he gave Schubert his adagio or something like that. Was it Schubert? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, he, he, he wrote the, Yeah, these vampires are behind everything, right? They've written... He he wrote Schubert's uh, uh, Adagio. Uh, one of the other vampires um, in Tangier uh, plays Christopher Marlowe, who he, he was Christopher Marlowe, and he wrote Shakespeare, all of Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's plays. Shakespeare's works, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, kind of behind the scenes and stuff. But it's kind of... Uh, it's, kind of it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's... it's it, the, the, I think we're having trouble starting because the film is so rich. Well, right? the film, the it, it's bookended beautifully because it starts off with, like you were both saying, that you've got this sort of like bird's eye view of both of them, one in in Tangier and the other in Detroit, and then we get the we get the stars, and then that that they start to you know rotate as if as if a time lapse uh, photography had taken place and the stars start to streak across the sky and that dissolves into uh, a 45 uh and and then we have the, what's 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 really interesting there is then that we get that the funnel of love the song funnel of love i forget mm -hmm. who it's by a, yep. a record rockabilly uh artist from the 60s um and it's slowed down 
you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not, it's not played at its regular tempo. It's slowed down, which kind of like, uh, mirrors, as Eric was saying, the sort of like uh, laconic approach to this film. It's got this wonderful, almost, um, uh, ennui to it, uh, which really factors into, uh, Adam's state of mind, he's quite suicidal at the beginning of the film. Um, and as Eric was just saying, like maybe one of the reasons that the three of us are trying to figure out where exactly to start is the point that I was just trying to make is it's nicely bookended because if you guys recall, I'm not giving anything away by saying that at the end of the film, they, um, they talk about this thing that has been a reoccurring, uh, thematic in the film about, um, I looked it up. I brought it up on a page here. Quantum entanglement. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that I, I guess it's, it's, it's one of, one of Einstein's many theories about, um, I'm going to read here, separate two particles, place them at opposite, separate two, two particles, place them at opposite ends of the universe, and it, it will produce the same effect in one and the other will be identically affected. And, mm-hmm. We get that as like a, a, a running theme throughout the film that they're connected and their actions have like reverberations on these two because ultimately what, what only lovers left alive to me is it's a love story and one of the best love stories I've ever seen in my entire life. And I think ultimately that's what, what draws me to it. It's a lot of other things. I mean, it's, it's a Jarmish film. No doubt. And it's a vampire <laughs> film to some degree. And it's, it's a statement on, you know, uh, society right now and and uh and um dead ends and culture stuff like that but for me i think ultimately if we wanted to say what what like got me so excited about this film was i have yet to see such a fascinating intriguing compelling and thoroughly like like engrossing romantic love story like this albeit slightly askew you know yeah, aren't aren't most vampire movies these days love stories? I'm not saying they're as good as this, but I think that's you know the kind of the uh, um the the general trajectory I think of a lot of vampire films these days. Which is the a genre pity. tends to be going that way. Which is yeah. a pity because it didn't. It never started off that way. <laughs> no, it, I know it, it, it started <laughs> off that way, and it, and, it, and it you know it didn't sustain that way. And it's a, yeah, it's a current trend, you know. Yeah, but, that was one of my problems with a film that I otherwise love, the Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. You know, I really like that. There's, I like, there's a lot that I like about Bram Stoker's Dracula, but he turns it into a love story, which is absolutely ridiculous if you consider the source material. Exactly. You Stoker, know, it, you know. Yeah. You know, Coppola claims to be, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but claims to be faithful to the novel more more so than anybody before then and he is in some respects but he also is like turns it into this ridiculous i shouldn't say ridiculous but he turns it into a love story no ridiculous is saved for things like and i don't mean to offend uh anybody because it's it's just not my cup of tea but uh to be fair though i haven't really watched the films is um the the romantic couplings and craziness of the of the of the twilight series Right. Uh, all five or six of those films or whatever. That, I mean, that's not really my cup of tea, and I don't really think I'm the target audience for that. But right. this is a romance that I can buy. And not only do I buy, I like luxuriated in every second of it. I mean, I thought that she uh, was, you know, for me, being attracted to her, I thought was she would be like the ultimate person to spend time with, you know? 
Just oh, these, yeah. all these little things she does. I love it how whenever she comes across something, she calls it by its Latin name. You know? Yeah, they both do that. They yeah. both do it. And, uh, particularly when we get to that mushroom and she's like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> and what yeah, that, yeah, that little part is great. Oh my God. Or whenever she comes across a, the, like the wolf pack, not the wolf packs, but the like stray dog packs in Detroit or whatever. Whenever she comes across anything, she has these Latin names for him and it's, they're every bit their intellectual equals and yet completely different. And that's what's make, what's make, what's makes them so goddamn compelling as a screen couple. Yeah. When she sees a skunk, she's like, Mephitis, Mephitis, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. you know? yeah, they call everything by their Latin names. But that, that actually brings up a good point that, uh, about them, too, that they uh, are obviously in great contrast to the humans in the, or the mm-hmm. humans in general, who, whom they refer to as, um, zombies they call human zombies and uh adam the the couple's name is adam and eve Mm -hmm. and adam has this great disdain for the zombies uh he you know and this is why he's suicidal in the beginning but one of the contrasts that is set up is that the vampires are in touch with nature Mm -hmm. they know that because that mushroom is there and it shouldn't be there right now that something's going on right they Talk, she talks to the skunk, oh, Mephitis, Mephitis, and the, the use of the dog packs. They seem to be in touch with nature in ways that the zombies, humans, um, are not. You know, and, and one of my favorite lines in the movie is, towards the end, when he says to her, Adam says to Eve, are they still fighting over oil? Or is it, are they still fighting over water yet, or is it still oil? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really prescient, because I think, you know, that water is going to be the next, next big crisis. Exactly. You know, um, we're going to run out of, I mean, it's going to become a scarce commodity, uh, drinking water, fresh water, stuff like that, uh, which is why Detroit's an interesting place uh, for this for this film in a way, because we're surrounded by water. Which is interesting. You get that comment when they're driving through Detroit. She says, Detroit's going to flourish mm-hmm. when they're burning in the south. Detroit will Detroit will bloom. Yeah. Not- because of its water rights, yeah. You know, I was just in the doctor's office yesterday. I was reading Time magazine, and one of the editors uh, who, who contributes on a regular basis, she had written exactly a year ago, or, or it might have been two, but I think it was a year ago about Detroit. And then she had just done, a couple weeks ago, it, uh, the, a, a follow-up to that, and all she talked about was a sort of uh, renaissance that she was seeing occurring downtown. Um, and you know, I just drove home from downtown Detroit this afternoon. It's true. There's, I mean, there are a lot of businesses going up. There's a lot of thriving areas. There's the M1 railway going right down the center of Woodward, which makes traveling hell. And, um, for, for, you know, for better or worse, for, for misguided or not, I mean, there is a lot of good things happening in the city right now. It's not so hard to go and try and find a good time anymore. Uh, and you know, you could all, you could always do that. It's just, you had to look a little bit and now it, you don't have to look so much. You can find a good time a little bit easier. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I think you know, a couple of things that are going on in Detroit politically, um, the, the city's been under an emergency, what they call an emergency manager for maybe two years now, year and a half, maybe something like longer, that. Yeah. Um, basically the state has, has taken over governance of the city more or less it's in a it's going through a bankruptcy um and you know in the news in the last couple of weeks is that people aren't getting water because you know a lot of stuff's getting privatized and uh, a lot of people a lot of people in the city are having their water turned off for non-payment 
Uh, so it's interesting the water comments in the in the film. But it's also interesting, Nick, that the film stays entirely away from downtown. Mm-hmm. You're never downtown in this film. Exactly. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't fit the aesthetic. It's not what they're. These guys, you know, Adam and Eve. Well, particularly Adam seems to be much more in favor of the past over modern society. He's definitely living in the past with his instruments. And we, we know right from the beginning that he fetishizes the past. Uh, and, and again, has sort of this malaise towards contemporary society. You just have to look at all his heroes, uh, there who, who are zombie, who are quote unquote zombies. I love that scene in his bedroom when we get this shot uh, of his wall, which reminds me of my wall in my bedroom, which is just plastered with, you know, posters and lobby cards and stills from my heroes. You get the same thing in his room. And it's people like Poe, like Oscar Wilde, even Rodney Dangerfield's up there. It's just, it's this wonderful tapestry, this collage of, of his heroes. But there's really no, no, no contemporary people on there. I mean, we get this nice little shout out in the beginning to Jack White, which is kind of lovely as they sort of like <laughs> g- g- drive throughout the city. And that's about the only thing he tends to like. Yet, that is contrasted later in the film with two very hopeful scenes, if you recall. One is when they go to see a live band here in Detroit, and they have a great time. And they like the music, and they feel like renewed for the night. And then, of course, the other is in Tangier, when Adam witnesses a young Lebanese singer there and feels rebirth and renewal uh, as they arrive in Tangier. So it's not all about the past, but it does seem to be very much about uh, the past. Um, very much about the past, I think. Yeah, they talk a lot about him hanging out with Byron and Shelley, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those French assholes. That's what yes. uh, um, <laughs> what uh, <laughs> Eve, calls, Eve them. calls them. You know, she says you're suicidal because of Byron and Shelley and those mm-hmm. French assholes. <laughs> Which, uh, but yeah, I think there there is a lot of dwelling on the past, but there are these moments where they find. Something in the present. I, yeah, I think that's right. So a certain amount of hope. Hope. Just yep. because of the fact that they, those, like you said, Adam has such disdain for contemporary culture. You know, and he, he when when Ava, um, Eve's sister, comes oh, to boy. visit, he really has a lot of disdain for L.A. and it's kind of plasticity. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. She, so, yeah, we should talk about that. So, so Ava, Eve's sister, comes from L.A. She's it's played by Mia Mia Wazakazakowski. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mia Wazakowska. I don't even, can't really pronounce her name. Uh, and she's great in the film. I think she does a really good job. But she's like a, a petulant younger sister, and she ends up killing. Spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. She kills. Uh, what Zach? seems to be Adam's, I think his name was Zach. Yeah, Adam's closest like zombie friend. You know, this dude who kind of goes on little missions for him and brings him musical equipment and brings him like stuff like that. Ian and uh, Ian. Ian is that what it was? Okay, and you drank she, Ian, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, that's right. He she drank Ian. You know, she just she just couldn't help her. She couldn't help herself. You know, because he was so cute, and she's you know, and uh, she disrupts the entire thing, and then they have to go dispose of the body. But I love when she gets sick after, and he's she's like, and he's like, "What do you expect? He's from the he's part of the fucking music industry. <laughs> like, of course you're gonna get sick drinking his blood. You know, so there's that disdain again, right? He's part of the music industry, I, and even when they see that Lebanese singer at the very end, um, Eve says. Oh, she she'll be famous someday, and and Adam says, "Oh God, I hope not. I She's hope way not. too talented. Way too talented for that. Yeah, she, uh, 
I would say that, um, in addition to that, uh, I think right from the get go, the film seduced me when she decides to come to Detroit and starts packing her suitcases with great literature. And, uh, that, that sort of montage of her selecting great literary works. And it's funny because I remember at one point, you know, and, and Jarmusch is always, there's always these taste factors, these taste configurations in his films. For the viewer, for the listener who's not, you know, and I don't know Jarmusch's entire canon, uh, not that it's th- that, that undigestible. It's, that's fairly small, but I know more or less two thirds of his films. It doesn't take much to sort of watch them and understand that largely these the we the films that he writes often deal very much with his own sort of taste configurations and culture and only lovers left alive is no exception in fact it might be a, the sort of nail to plus of of that uh aesthetic and that uh, ambition in his stuff and i remember seeing in the suitcase infinite jest and i immediately thought of right. you eric cuz i still haven't right. read it but i also was like kicked myself in the ass because quixote was in there yep and, and those are the those are the two that that you see immediately they, they, your eye focuses on infinite jest and don quixote it's the way they're they're organized in that they stand suitcase. Out. and yeah. i i've started quixote twice and both times never finished it and it was one of the you know top 3 novels i'd ever read in my entire life and yet didn't finish it either time. And I'm so upset and, and, and embarrassed to admit it. Well, it's a long book. You know, you can get to it. You have time. <laughs> it is. And I got about but, two-thirds through it both times, you know. It's like something came up. So our our uh, our uh, f- friend of the podcast and, and my mentor, uh, Bob Burgoyne, had, uh, had something to say about those books. He thought he found it really gratuitous, and it really turned him off. Um, of the movie in a certain, not the whole movie, I don't think, but was it the books uh, or the mentioning of the authors? I thought he was more or less cringed at the dialogue about Shelley and Byron. No, I believe it was just the book porn, you know, this whole like long scene of, of them, uh, of, you know, her reading all these books and the, just kind of dropping the, maybe it was both actually it was dropping both, okay. the, uh, uh, perhaps it was. I don't know. I can't speak for Bob, obviously, but, um, he had a thing on his Facebook about it. I um, replied as well. Yeah, and he, uh, you know, the, and I, I don't entirely agree. I mean, I like that part, but I did find the scene where she's packing and going through. She's going through very quickly and like kind of reading the books at this kind of hyper speed, and it did go on for a long time. Mm-hmm. That that scene a did, little too you know? long. So you know, so I could see that. Uh, but he responded pretty strongly to it. Maybe he'll comment on the on the show notes at that's a wrap. Uh, I, you know, I wound up com, uh, agreeing with Bob like 110. percent I actually cringed at a few bits of the dialogue that was okay. that was. Um, it sounded very on the nose, uh, um, yeah. like almost yeah. too on the nose, almost stereotypical. As in, like, how would these guys respond? Well, let's just call one a you know a pretentious you know, shit or something like that, or, or, or a dreadful bore or, or whatever, whatever those sort of like cliched hackneyed lines you might come to expect about describing a famous like poet or author or something. They were there. And I kind of cringed and thought that, uh, as Bob had mentioned on his thread and other comments that the, the was less tone deafness when they were talking about the music, clearly, uh, the film sort of like got the music right. But I, I enjoyed very much the opening montage because I think when you are suicidal, 
Um, and, and you guys are probably right. It may go on for a little bit too long, but I think when you are suicidal, uh, she's, she's really sort of just trying to reaffirmate for him things that really, the beauty of the world and particularly the beauty of found in literature. So I enjoyed the fact that it went on maybe a 60 seconds too long as she was grabbing all this stuff. I don't know. It, yeah. it, it didn't bother me. And, and Bob's, Bob's comment I thought was right on the mark, but didn't bother me in the film, you know? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I would, and, and my response to that too, <laughs> sorry, Bob, if you're listening to this, we're just kind of maybe making a straw man out of you a little bit, <laughs> but, um, but again, that's rapshow.com. You can comment. But at any rate, um, <laughs> so, um, I, you know, one of my comments is that, you know, you don't see a lot of films with books in them, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I just, I'm just happy to see someone celebrating books and reading, you know. Even if it is uh, vampires and, <laughs> and whatnot, yeah, you know, the infinite jest thing was kind of funny because I have that same edition, mm-hmm. so I see it every day when I walk past the bookshelf, and I was like, "Hey, you know, it really, you know, it jumps out." Um, but yeah, like you said, it's the director's sensibility for sure. You get that in coffee and cigarettes, oh, and God, I think yeah. you get that in a lot of his, a lot of his films. Then yeah, um, I, it doesn't take away from the movies. Uh, speaking of quoting other people's Facebook walls, um, Nick, you had a really interesting post on your Facebook about this and under the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to regurgitate it? Do you want yeah, me to read it? Yeah, basically, to- <laughs> I did. Um, I, I don't. I can try and regurgitate it. I actually, if you have it in front of you, I do not actually. Uh, okay. But you, you, I mean, you said something about under the skin and only lovers left alive, giving you. Uh, it, renewed they renewed faith. my faith in a uh, renewed my waning faith in cinema. And then I, the second line was something along the lines of, uh, despite Hollywood's best efforts to kill narrative film, certain <laughs> yeah. certain uh, directors out there simply won't let that happen. And these past two films really just, um, they were like lightning bolts through me, like life affirming lightning bolts that, that the sort of hackneyed, over massaged blockbuster approach to, to the safe blockbuster approach, blockbuster approach to nurturing already established franchises and milking them for what they're worth eventually does grow you know, weary and wary on its cult, on the, on the its culture and, and that we, we really do identify much more with character than we do ever with spectacle. And of course, we, as we've argued on this podcast before, you can have both, but this is, this, these two films just blew me away. You know, they were like, I agree with the, with exactly what you're saying. Um, I don't know if society or the film going public would necessarily agree. Just because of the fact that this, I mean, both both films were kind of quiet when it came to the box office. I I don't even think uh, Only Lovers Left Alive broke even. I think it had like a seven million dollar budget. Its domestic gross exactly. was. They didn't not have even the marketing machine, Chris. That's the problem. If we had been seeing five times a night promos for him on Bravo or on TCM or whatever saying with like four stars, five stars, go see, you know, and, and, you know, 15 second spots, it might've performed better, but maybe we didn't, you know, um, they didn't put any money in to promote these films. They figured it's under the skin and, and only lovers are, have the built in art house audience and then whoever else they pick up. Great. Right. Yeah. In fact, um, the the promotion thing is is important because um i mean even here in detroit it was really hard to see only lovers left alive we yeah. had to wait for it on dvd because 
in Ann Arbor is only playing, they had one show time, and it was just a really weird time that you're not going to go to, you know, because how do you, it was just this, I can't remember what it was, but it was like in the middle of the day, and it was here for maybe a week, and I think in Royal Oak in Detroit, I think it was maybe available for, you would think in the city that it's set in, it would be available longer, yeah. but very short screen time, and, and like Nick said, not a lot of uh, promotion and, and stuff like that, and you know, if it did break even, I mean, at least it's at least it broke even, right? Yeah. But you're you're right, Nick. It it it. This, I mean, these last two films we we talked about on this uh, podcast, last three, I'll put Snowpiercer in there too. Um, you know, have have shown me that people are still making interesting films. You know, people are making interesting and and compelling cinema still exists, but dang, is it hard to find? You really do have to look for it. Um, you know, the thing I liked about this film is, like you said, it, it's not your typical vampire film. It's very slow, contemplated um, filmmaking. Yeah. And we've got the an pace- auteur here, too, you know, releasing yes. it. So, Jim Jarmusch. So. And the, the pace of the film, I actually just I went nuts for it. I loved the slightly slower pace to it because yeah. uh, I like when she arrives in Detroit, um, it was just such a, I had been wait, you'd been waiting 30 minutes for her to get there. And so she finally arrives and that amazing kiss that they share on that sort of abandoned street, uh, in Detroit. Uh, and then they, they, you know, that, and it's quite a kiss too. You know, it's clearly these guys have been married since, uh, you know, uh, 300 years or more. Um, that one, wedding for photo we find is dated in the mid 1800s and she says that was their third wedding so you know they've been uh and 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 they are truly two old souls and uh you know listeners i'm not i'm not casting a, a an ultra romantic hue on the film it's it's there i mean it really it, it's it's probably one of the best love stories i've seen in in so long uh, a love story of extremes granted um, but yeah, I mean, that's, those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, it's definitely there. Um, you get the sense of love has lasted centuries, mm-hmm. which is, which is interesting. And they're very, very connected to each other. Um, one thing I think that we haven't really talked about is we talked about Adam being kind of, uh, an analog kind of guy and, and not liking, uh, modern society and all this, but she's glued to her iPhone. Mm-hmm. Right, she's got an iPhone. She uses it like she like Eve is not is not like that. She doesn't share his kind of technophobia almost, um, which which I think is interesting because they both have very different attitudes towards uh, towards people, mm-hmm. uh, towards society, and towards technology. I think, which I think is is worth uh, pointing out at the very least. Not only pointing out, but exploring in the sense that Adam is is a technophobe who was definitely a technophile at one point because right. this guy's this guy's so fucking juiced into like Tesla's unused, you know, uh <laughs> theories on this, that and the other that he powers yeah. his house with his generator he built. It's a great moment in the film because you you look up this tangled mess of, you know, Detroit Edison wires and trust me, listeners, there's like no worse <laughs> tangled mess than Detroit Edison wires. And, um, and then he's like, and then we get this like awesome bit and, and, and it's kind of like, uh, foreshadowed when he like 
starts his car earlier. Like, what the fuck did he just do to start his car? He had this, like, you know, it was, it was so strange because clearly he doesn't drive it very often. But like, what, what was that? How did he start it? What did he use? Some sort of hydraulic, you yeah. know? And then, um, and then we get, we get to see it's like, it's like he opens up the, the trunk of the, the Back to the Future DeLorean and, and, and you're like, you look underground and you see he's got this crazy and she's like, Oh my love, you built this. How great. And, and he starts talking about, you know, Tesla and Ed, how Edison screwed him over. And so he's, he's definitely like an embracer of technology and mm-hmm. to the point that he thought things were going beautifully for a while. And then he's like, Oh, and then these rotten capitalist zombies destroyed it all. And <laughs> I, I don't know if he's a, an embracer of technology. I think he's an embracer of science. Well, I, I mean, it doesn't one get you the other, though? Well, one gets you the other, but I, I think that he's seen um, everything like post, this postmodern technology go to pot. Whether or not, you know, yes, part of that's due to the capitalist, but I think he, he's more appreciative of the, the, the pure science behind. Um, behind what makes this stuff work. Oh yeah, right? I mean that's fair. It you know he talks later on you know, near the end that he talks about Einstein. He is a tinkerer though. I mean he's built all this oh, stuff. Oh a tinkerer. You know oh, I yeah. mean so that's technology, right? I mean like like it is. all the stuff he's 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 in his apartment. He's recording on reel to reel, and you know he he wires it so that he can like do FaceTime and this old you know television set and so yeah. stuff like that so i mean we might He's be really splitting hairs engineer. when we talk about science and technology they are so deeply connected um yeah he's he's a tinker and a diy kind of guy but as yeah. far as consumer um consumer technology not so much you know he doesn't have an iphone she does and he's right. really mad at people for you know for dissing tesla and going with edison and for you know like the, he is that's part of his disdain right is that is that you know if only they embraced tesla for example things would have been so much different they would have, would have a different yeah. type of power and you know all this other stuff right which i think is you know is probably valid but yeah he's got he's got his favorites his historical favorites that that everyone else is kind of um um just we've ignored or you know kind of and, and it fits in with his sort of romantic reason. sensibility too you know it it it, fig- it figures that he would champion tesla and that uh you know and and he would because of this sort of like you know self idealized sense of self and his and this romantic link to the past that he has which which is why he's so melancholy <laughs> right mm-hmm. uh, right you know, that, that's wants, why the ennui is yeah. set in i think and why he's uh-huh. contemplating you know, uh, killing himself. Um, you know, the minute he asks for a wooden bullet, you're like, uh-oh, here we go. Here's yeah, right. Right. I want one wooden bullet. And he's like <laughs> talking about what type of wood it could be and all this stuff. Yeah. Lovely dialogue. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's, it's, I, I need to watch the film three or four more times. Me too. You know, I have to, to really buy it. get a handle Same on here. it. Yeah, yeah. Same here. I'm still um, waiting for paychecks. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think it's uh, you know it it it's it's worth the rewatch. I'm going to watch it several more times because there's so much that I know I've missed mm-hmm. and even for, maybe forgotten. Um, uh, you know, since I saw it about a week and a half ago, maybe something like that. And it's just it it really it's going to go on my top. You know, it's gonna be one of my top films of the of the year, no doubt. 
Um, Me too. And I think it's I think it's definitely got rewatchability. You know the the shots of Detroit are like are very very interesting. I I couldn't place all of them. I could place mm-hmm. uh, some of them, maybe maybe half. I don't know. Um, but you know, I think it. I I I, I kind of wonder in a way what Jarmusch was going for because it seems like a love letter to Detroit in a lot of ways. You know, the way it just kind of luxuriates in the, in the nighttime of an empty mm-hmm. Detroit. Um, on the other hand, it seems to be, you know, Detroit's more or less empty. There's mm-hmm. not much going on. Um, there aren't very many people. Um, uh, granted it's always at night, I suppose, but it, but I think there is this uh, representation of Detroit that's kind of in vogue right now. Probably has been for a long time of of abandoned buildings. Um, everybody's left, you know, white flight of the uh, ruined sixties, as a lot of people call it. Right, ruined porn. And you know, if you do a um, image search on Google for Detroit, you know, mm-hmm. the first, the, the very first image that comes up is is a is a crumbling building. Yeah. There are a lot of buildings, you know, pictures of downtown as well. But there are a lot of pictures of, of old churches, abandoned buildings, abandoned storefronts, um, tires <laughs> all over the sure. place. So that's, you know, uh, in keeping with the kind of media image of Detroit, although, and, and that stuff certainly exists, it's certainly there, but it's not all that Detroit is. And I think Nick actually kind of already pointed this out when he talked about downtown and, you know, being able to find a, you know, um, a good time downtown right. and, and businesses coming back and all that, but it's complicated, you know, and we don't expect Jarmish to, to capture the complicated political and socioeconomic situation of Detroit. I had right? read some people but, calling you know. the depiction of Detroit like pretentious. And, uh, yeah, I didn't agree with that at all. I thought it was exactly, well, first of all, the way he captures it, I think, is 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 uh, beyond accurate. You, it's not. It would be a disservice to sort of like go down and just shoot nothing but like happy people milling in and out of the DIA and and some restaurant because that would be a right. really uh, poor aggregate view of of this you know Rust Belt town that's fallen on you know that's been abandoned by the country really not just Detroit Detroiters but by the country uh, and so I think. For me, I thought that his portrayal of it, it was, it matched and suited and was appropriate for the love story he was trying to tell. Doesn't she say to him this great line, so this is where you've come to, um, there's, there's this great verb she has, or adjective, I can't recall. Do you guys remember that? She's like, so this is where you've come to fade away or something like that. Yep. And then they do their little um, tour of like the, the the Michigan theater. It was the parking garage and the the Motown or or the Packard building, you know. Um, well, even before that, you get the shot where he drives by the Fox Theater. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it's great. Because, see, that's great, and I, I think I'm so glad you brought that up because that was a low angle shot, really beautifully framed at night with nobody around and you know right. I, and i thought it was really cool it was like that's if if you and i chris were driving around woodward in midtown and we went to drove by by the fox theater at one o'clock in the morning like he did that's exactly what we would see that that is very 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 true it's a very like you said a very accurate portrayal mm-hmm. as opposed to you know you look at so many films that have shown the not so nice areas of Detroit, and they focused on the negative, like like even like Eight Mile. Mm-hmm. Um, you you don't have that with them. For them, it's a it's a sort of like resolutely 
promising uh, journey of Detroit, a tour of Detroit, right. as they talk about, as you said earlier, Chris, she talks about how Detroit will rise again. And they talk about yeah. how, you know, a once great city will come back. It's uh, So I think it's hopeful, but it also fits in with where he's at and where he, what he's doing in his life. It's the perfect place for him. And what else can we say about this film other than... <laughs> You have to go see it. It's, it's, uh, if you like Jarmusch, if you like vampires, if you like romance, you can't, you won't be disappointed. You can't fail. If, um, if, you know, if you don't want to invest that type of like, uh, priority to the thematic and visual, uh, thematic and visual ambitions of the film, you may not like it all that much. You know, I mean, this is a film that sort of like washes over you nice and slowly, like a codeine haze, you know, and you just got to like <laughs> take it all in. I mean, I'm thinking of the opening scene where, where as Chris said, we get the, the, uh, um, the circularity of the stars progressing through the night and, uh, streaming across the sky. And then, you know, that slow down version, a funnel of love. It, it's, it's almost like you've just shot up some heroin, you know? <laughs> it's, and of course, yeah. we have this wonderful bird's eye view shot of looking down on them as they're spinning clockwise and counterclockwise. Uh, haven't they just fed, I think, in that opening? Yeah. 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 We haven't even, so, talked, we haven't even talked about the blood. You know, the blood is yeah. like a drug to them. You know, they, they seem, they get very kind of ecstatic when they, when they have the the typo negative, right? That's the premium stuff, the good stuff that they the get from stuff. hospitals. Because we didn't even talk about that. They don't even feed. They don't. They don't feed on people. They get nope. their blood from hospitals and other places rather than turning people or killing people, right? Because they're civilized. This uh, isn't the fifteenth century, <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Ava. Until the end, you know, when they have to out of necessity, right? But, yeah. What There's so much going on in this film. Yeah. But the, they uh, even the, say at the end, at the very end, we're just going to turn them. Exactly. We're right. not going to kill them. <laughs> yeah, but you're not even sure that that's going to, you know, because <laughs> I think he says to that, uh, you're such a romantic or something like that, <laughs> right? And I love Adam. So she, anyone remember Adam's line? Adam goes, I get the girl mm-hmm. as they turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the very, very end. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on. We We should probably move on, but. The idea of blood being contaminated, which is never um, explained, right? Mm-hmm. I think in this day and age, you think of AIDS right away, but that's sure. not necessarily it. It sounds like the guy in the music industry, right? It might be, you know, toxins. It could be polluting their polluted minds in blood, some way, yeah. their lifestyles. The, the blood is polluted and it kills vampires or it can kill vampires. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there's so much other stuff. This whole idea that, you know, you, know, you have. Like over and over, they talk about how short-sighted humans are, mm-hmm. and how you know how we are just making the same mistakes over and over. And we never—I think she says something at one point, like they never—they they never know, they never see it until it's too late, or something yeah. to that effect. You know, um, so there's, there's a lot of commentary going on going on here about human nature, about uh, you know, current kind of cultural and, and uh, kind of social goings on i guess um i mean there's all kinds of other like layers to this that that we're only scratching the surface of right now and uh i mean i really invite people to watch the film if you haven't already and come come comment on that to rapshow.com and tell us what we missed because it's it's so rich well i couldn't summarize better and then and if for me it, it falls into not only just top film of the year but um 
and 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 not to I, I just to bait listeners out there like our good friend Rob. Um, we are we do have another top five uh, on the horizon. Let's let's and not a, tease the top five. <laughs> you want to tease the top five? Okay, I'll let it go. But uh, I will I will link to that that concept by saying that this film could easily fall into said top yeah. five category for me. Yeah. So. No, you can tease I, it. You can tease it. Well, it's a companion um, piece to uh, to our top five shows of the new millennium. The three of us are going to come together and talk about, and this is a tough one, our top five films of the 21st century thus far. Uh, and I already put my list together. And let me tell you guys, you know, it's like five was hard. You know, seven or eight was a piece of cake. But wow, you know, you had to like Sophie's Choice, the last spot there. <laughs> so... Stay tuned for that. We don't know when that's going to be, but it'll be in, a, in, in, in the next four or five episodes. episodes. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, great. Any last words on that, or should we move on? Mm, I get the girl segment. To you. <laughs> I get the girl. Uh, so, for segment two, we're going to talk about other film podcasts because I know that, of course, that's a wrap is the top podcast in all of your hearts and <laughs> you know and on your iPods and your whatever it is. Or it should be, but, but it should be. But if you're, you know, sometimes we go a couple weeks before posting, and you know maybe you're listening to other podcasts, and we love to hear what you're listening to. But I thought we should share maybe what we listen to because we listen to a lot of podcasts as well. Um, so I mean, this won't be a top five or anything. I've got a I've got a couple that I want to shout out to, and and I mean, there I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I I kind of narrowed it down not necessarily to the best, but to the ones that I've been listening to kind of most often, I guess. And we'll put a list and maybe even a more comprehensive list on uh, on the show notes at thatsarapshow dot com um, to give you something to do between between episodes for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll start. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, I'll just give you one or two maybe right now. Uh, what well, the podcast that, I, that I've been really liking lately is, uh, the dissolve. I don't know if you guys know it. Um, it's the dissolve podcast. It's a film podcast where they do, um, they'll often pick a theme or a movie and then they um it's it's very fast paced and they do a little like quiz at the end like a little game show sort of thing but they have really good uh um commentary on it it's a companion to the dissolve website uh, the the dissolve.com and uh, I like it because it's not it's it's not superficial but it's not pretentious either it's they really do a good job of doing some film analysis and also some you know evaluation and and um and you know kind of what should i say exposing me to films that maybe i might hadn't watched uh yet mm-hmm. that sort of thing so that's one for me yeah. anyone else want to go next i'm just looking at it right now yeah that, then it looks very interesting um Nick, where are you going to go? Or? No, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, as Chris was, as uh, Eric was talking, I brought up uh, the Dissolve.com podcast, and they've got, it looks like, a 20, 27, 27 episodes up, which is yeah. what we have as well. So, very cool. Yeah. Um, I listen to some podcasts. I don't 
listened to a ton of them. Um, my probably one of my favorite film podcasts is put out by the Warner Archive Collection. Um, and as you probably all know, the Warner Archive Collection is a um, you know Warner Warner has all of these this big archive of films, and they do a essentially a print on demand DVD ordering service. So their podcast does interviews it does uh discussions a lot of a lot of very hard to find um films um stuff that's older a lot of 30s 40s stuff that um that can be hard to find whether they they talk about whether it's remastering and, and converting or talking with directors, actors, things like that. And they've they've got they've done some stuff on old time radio, and um, they they really focus on a lot of the history. So that's a that's a favorite of mine to listen to. Very cool. Yeah, I know that podcast, Chris. I have not listened to it though. So thanks for the good. So for the suggestion. Um, my top pick would be uh, or suggestion recommendation would be. And I love these guys. I feel like I know them. Uh, we're Facebook friends. Uh, sadly, their, their podcast launched after I had finished my dissertation. And I'm, I'm referring to a podcast called Nashy Cast, which is dedicated to the works of Spanish actor, uh, writer, uh, producer and director, uh, Paul Nashy. And so it's a very simple title for the podcast, Nashy Cast. And it's hosted by, uh, Troy Gwynn and, and Rod Barnett. And, um, they're on, they've got 48 episodes done. And, but basically their goal was to start off, uh, by doing a, um, uh, dedicating each and every podcast that they would do to an, a Paul Nashy film. And they've worked pretty much through his, his, uh, library of stuff. And they're, they're, it's just such an interesting approach. Um, basically, and the podcast can go anywhere from an hour to two. Uh, what they, they, their approach is so unique. They basically, like, they, they summarize the film and analyze it as they go. And so they talk you through the film, whatever it may be. Say, for example, um, yeah, like, uh, Werewolf Shadow, for example. And they'll, they'll, they'll start and they talk about, you know, they'll just walk you through scene by scene. And as they walk you through it, they just talk about all these other sort of tangential things and, and which turns into analysis of it. They may be talking about the actor or the actress or something that they learned about the film and their research, uh, related to that scene or the cinematographer or some joke that they're making. And by God, these guys have had me on the floor laughing. In fact, in my book, not only do I thank them in the acknowledgments and wish that they had started four or five years earlier, <laughs> but, um, uh, I, I dedicate a, a footnote in, in one of the chapters to one of their podcasts, which, um, like, you know, had me doing spit takes in the car. Like, I was laughing so fucking hard at something that Troy had said, uh, that I was, I found myself laughing about it later that night just, just to sort of cheer myself up. I, and I would listen to it and laugh my ass off. I still laugh when I hear it. So, uh, and then of course they do episodes uh, that are like non-nashy episodes they may focus on a just a spanish horror film in general so you can see my where my uh, uh inclination is to to list these guys they've been they just feel like friends you know and i and i thank them you know generously in in, in the uh, in the book or uh, with a lot of gratitude for just keeping me thinking about spanish horror while i wrote the book 
That is uh that is has a very niche <laughs> a very very niche thing. That's cool. Yeah. Like it's great that people can do a podcast on something so specific, right? Um that reminds me a little bit of the auteur cast which um I just looked up and realized they've stopped. So mm. they uh they do a like they did a whole series on um the Cohen brothers for example and they did one on Kubrick where they do an episode about an hour of each of the director's films. Wow. Yeah. And I'm looking at their Twitter feed right now. I didn't know this, but they, uh, looks like they, um, they stopped, uh, a couple months ago last month. Uh, so it's all over, but you can still find them on iTunes and stuff. It's called the auteur cast, but it reminds me of that, Nick, cause it's, it's very hyper specific. They have Wes Anderson. They do, uh, like I said, the Coen brothers, um, a bunch of other things. They oh boy. Some episodes up there. <laughs> well, well, what? I said, oh boy, those are two of my favorites. Yeah. Wes Anderson yeah, and the yeah. Coen brothers, I know um, you're all about that. Well, they have Stanley Kubrick as well and, and others. They have 270 mm-hmm. episodes, so that's worth checking out. Um, some others that I listen to is there's one called Battleship Pretension. Um, and they, uh, it's been around for a little while. I, I, I listen off and on. And they've got um, like, different, um, he does a good job of, um, interviewing not just film people but other people like psychologists or writers and stuff like that um and they do they do a pretty good job there it's um david uh Bax and and tyler smith um do a good job on battleship mm-hmm. pretension i'm just gonna go through quickly like some of the other ones i listen to um intercut you guys know intercut the film magazine they have a podcast and they recently did a neo-noir four episode um a new art, neo noir in the seventies. They do. They did a four episode kind of series on that, which is which is pretty cool. Um, you, you know, just talking about drilling down, mm-hmm. right? And then another one, just real quickly, um, it's called Media Carnivores, and they just started just a little while ago. I think they're on episode thirteen right now, and um, that's uh, Brett Hardinger and Eric Hamburg, who um, are writers, and they talk about not just. Uh, film but also tv and other media and they're they're pretty good they're um i've listened to the first two or three and they were you know they 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 have a good rapport for being so new um they obviously know each other i think but uh that's a that's a pretty good new podcast uh media carnivores that i would highly recommend and we'll link to all these of course i've got another one too i wanted to mention which is uh noir cast uh i used to listen to noir cast quite a bit um, noir cast was, uh, it's really excellent. Uh, um, it's, it's hosted by Shannon Clute and Richard Edwards and, uh, Clute and Edwards, they go by and they're, uh, members, of at, uh, St. Mary's college in California. And they've done many, many podcasts and they, they're dedicated. Let me bring up their webpage here. Each podcast investigates a sim- single film in relation to the body of film noir. They've written books. They're a big part of noir con, which our good friend, at the projection booth, obviously another podcast that we all love. Mike White goes to every year. Um, and, uh, they're great. I mean, they've got episodes on Blade Runner, The Asphalt Jungle, Laura, The Killers, Rafifi, Notorious, Gun Crazy, you know, the whole nine yards. They haven't been very active lately, unfortunately. There's not, uh, but, um, there's a treasure trove of like over 50 episodes. Um, and they're still very active in the, in the area. It's a great podcast. And I mean, and, and there's an academic detail to all, all these, these films as well. 
Um, and are they uh, academics? Yes, they are. Uh, and they're authors as well. And, but the podcasts are, um, they're, 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 you know, relaxed, informative, uh, and, and a lot of fun. You know, they're, they're, they're like ours in many ways, you know, and, um, but they're filled with tremendous amount of like historical information about the films. Um, unlike us. Yes. Yes. Unlike us. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, unlike us. <laughs> <Just> yeah. <joking. laughs> uh, but you know, they're, they're a lot of fun and I listened to, oh, maybe a dozen. You know, I think the last one I listened to was their episode on detour when I was teaching detour last, last semester. And, uh, um, yeah, good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Noir cast. That's 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 great. I I don't know that at all. I'm gonna definitely put that in my in my podcatcher. Um, I think if you're interested in the business of film or screenwriting or or the kind of behind the scenes stuff, I think there are three that are worth listening to. Uh, Script notes with uh, John August and yes, Craig Mason, which I've been listening to upon Eric's recommendation. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. All about screenwriting, about the craft and business of screenwriting. It's really really good. Uh, there's one called the business of film. Uh, which talks about um, you know production and distribution and, and kind of drills down into the finances of film, which is very very interesting. I've and actually moment, heard of that. That's a really that from what everything I've read is good. It's good. Yeah, it's it's a good yeah it's a good one. And then uh, the moment with Brian Koppelman. I just found that one. It's on hmm. it's on an ESP. It's on an ESPN network thing. I don't really understand exactly how it works, but it's called the moment. And it's got Brian Koppelman, screenwriter, who um, he was a very interesting and kind of um, you know, it's very strong spoken. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, and he uh, he interviews actors and writers and stuff like that. Um, I think it might be a little hit or miss sometimes, but it's a good it's a good podcast worth listening to if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Um, do you guys listen to the uh, SCMS podcast? Uh, I can't even remember the name. Just of that first one. Yeah, it didn't grab me either, which is weird because we're you know kind of we, we lean towards the academic, right? Um, and I've I downloaded. I, it, I haven't listened to it. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, it was. Um, you so know, it was very much sort of like being at a faculty meeting or something. Acomedia is called. Yeah, it's like being at a conference in a way. Yeah, and I, I really cherry pick that one. Acomedia. Um, if something seems really interesting, but it's a lot of, a lot of like inside baseball kind of. And there's something about it that just hasn't grabbed me yet. I'll, I'll give it another shot, but. I think it's worth mentioning that it exists. Absolutely. Um, yeah. For now. And, and, you know, I think I'll give it, I think it really is hit or miss. It depends on your mood, I think, too. You know, if you feel like listening to something that's really heavily academic. Right. Ways, yeah. I didn't, and, and I didn't, to just be. to be clear, I wasn't sort of denigrating it when I said it sounded like a faculty meeting or a conference. It's just sort of like sometimes for podcasts, there's a, maybe a, an escapist component that you're, you're trying to fulfill. And that one just is like, I'm at work. <laughs> it feels so. like work yeah yeah exactly that's, i think that's exactly what it is because yeah you want to be entertained and escape and it does feel like work it's like a, i'm at, a, at a conference yeah that's a good way to well put because it. the level of, yeah, really of discourse cool. is very high so you have to sort of really pay attention you know to, to sort of like <laughs> follow yeah yeah definitely and it and if you do it, i think there's some pretty rich material mm -hmm. in there but it's just yeah you have to be you have to be in the right mood for that Agreed. for sure so yeah um yeah, I mean, I ran through mine pretty quickly because I listened to a lot of them, but I just wanted to give a shout out to some of my favorites. There are a bunch. Like we didn't really, we're we're kind of staying away from the big ones that everybody knows, like slash film, sure. or film spotting. Like everybody knows those. Uh, 
Projection Booth obviously deserves a shout out, but everyone mm-hmm. knows that we love them already. <laughs> we love you guys at the Projection Absolutely. Booth. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to hear our roundtable with them, you can you know find find that episode, um, which I don't remember what number it is, but you can find it. Me um, either. But yeah, hey, let me ask you one last question. Uh, well, how do you guys listen to podcasts? I'm either uh, I've been biking again, Chris. Uh, thank God, my my leg sort of like healed up enough so that the last couple of weeks I've been biking. So Good. I'm either biking, walking, or driving, and and um, it's one of those three, Eric. I listen to them either driving or I listen to them um, in my office at work. Mm. Um, I, I listen to them. Almost uh, exclusively driving. Uh, sometimes I'll take a walk and listen, but I like to, when I'm walking, I like to just kind of like listen to birds and <laughs> whatever. But uh, sometimes I listen to a podcast. It's almost always driving, which I do a lot of. Yeah. I do a lot of driving. Uh, but how, so like, um, but, but how do you, uh, like, on a, tech, a technical level, how do you listen to them? Like, for me, I listen on an an- my Android device, um, and I have a, an app called Pocket Casts. And uh-huh. we're not, they're not, I'm not affiliated with them or anything. We don't get anything if you download them. It's, it's just, but, and it, it just basically downloads them for me and tells me which ones are newest. And it all just, it's all in the app. Um, and I use that in my car. I just have a, I have an adapter that I use and that's, that's how I listen. How do you guys listen? You're, you're too cool for me, Brewster. Uh, for me, it's, um, I subscribe in iTunes, and when a new episode mm-hmm. drops, uh, it it automatically downloads, and then I just sync it to my iPod and listen to my car. Yeah, that's what I used to do when I had an, when I had an iPhone as well. Mm-hmm. I have a the podcast uh, app on my phone, so I'll download the latest episode to listen to. Adapt, you know, hook up the adapter in my car. Um, when I'm in my when I'm in my office at work, I just listen to them through iTunes. I okay. keep my keep my laptop next to my desktop, and I just throw them up there. And you listen. So you have an iPhone? Yes, I do. So you got you have the iPod app on iPhone, and you listen through your computer on iTunes at work. And Nick, you listen. You have iTunes, download it, and you transfer it to your iPod, right? Yep. Yep. And exactly. then I listen on Pocket Cast on my Android device, which is just a podcatcher. Okay. Yeah. So three different ways to listen. If yeah. I'm in a hurry, I might do one other thing, which is before I leave the house, I'll bring up the website uh, on my phone, hit play, and then when I get in the car, it just Bluetooth just sends it over to the, to the stereo, and <laughs> so uh. I'll listen to stream it from the phone. Oh yeah, okay. listen to Mister uh, Mister Technology here. Yeah. So that's <laughs> Mr. Bluetooth, you know, Mr. I'm Bluetooth. I'm still I'm still driving the rickety old 97 my 2005 Scion that doesn't mm-hmm. even have a, a MP3 cord hiccup. <laughs> uh, all ad- the way to adapter. All the way to Massachusetts in that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was uh, it's a really low to the ground car so it was actually it is. Pretty, pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> long distance. Oh well. And I, I, I actually have a fairly long commute. I have about a well, I have about a fifty minute commute each way. That's long. That's very long. Yeah, it's it's a straight shot. I do like so. the case of Stoli behind you right now, Chris though. That's right next to your pet pet carrier and a case of Stoli. Yeah, I saw that. Right. <laughs> well when you're yeah, unpacking, Chris is still you need something to to yeah. wash it down. Yeah, we can see <laughs> We can see Chris goes around video, and so for the listeners, uh, he's still in boxes mostly because he just moved. <laughs> and he's got the stoli, 
the Stoli box behind him and all this other <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, that's Unpacking great. makes one thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of and course. any man that buys yeah. Stoli by the case is all right in my book. Absolutely. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, I was just curious about how you guys listen. Cause I know everybody listens differently. Some people listen mm-hmm. on the website. Some listen on iTunes, you know. I think there are some people who go to thatstherapshow.com and hit the little play button. Yep. Um, you know, everybody listens differently, but there are all kinds of different ways to listen. So, and if you do listen on iTunes, uh, hit us up with a review if you if you want to. Just uh, go to that's a wrap on uh, on iTunes and hit the little stars. Um, and if you want to, type in some words. Be like, these guys are great, or whatever. <laughs> um, we got some great. Or not, you know, these guys suck. You know, I can't believe I listened to these jerks or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, we do have some good episodes coming up. Um, I thought I was really looking forward to this one. I'm glad we did it. We have some uh, some some good stuff coming up for you. And um, now we got Chris back in the fold. Yes, That's sir. Good. Now that he's good settling in. Well, thank you for listening to That's a Wrap, episode number twenty seven. For That's a Wrap, I'm Eric Marshall, and I'm Nick Schlegel, and I'm Chris Pergolin. And thanks a lot, guys. That's a wrap. Cut. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.